Welcome to the Clifford Chance podcast, where we discuss the biggest issues and trends faced by businesses today. My name is Matthew Newick. I'm Clifford Chance's Global Head of Litigation and Dispute Resolution. Today, I'm in Tokyo talking to counsel Peter Harris about how boardroom actions and attitudes towards risk have shifted over a five-year period, uh, as illustrated in a recent report that we commissioned in partnership with the Economist Intelligence Unit. In particular, I'm going to discuss with Peter how political volatility is now business as usual and how political risk looks set to rise up the corporate agenda in the near future. And I say that because more than half of the respondents in the survey expect political risk to become more important in the next two years. Peter, I know this is a topic that you come across a lot in your work, particularly when you're advising on disputes between investors and governments but also in the context of mega energy and resources projects. And I also know that it's a risk that a lot of our clients are talking about. So let's start by understanding what we mean by political risk. Uh, what exactly does political risk mean in this context for you? Uh, thanks, Matthew. And um, I agree that it is clearly an issue for our clients and um, the respondents to the EIU report survey uh, second that. So. The question, what is political risk? Well, it's a very dynamic word, really, because it can cover a range of risks that overlap with risks that sometimes get categorised as other things. But generally, what we're talking about and what our clients are talking about when they talk about political risks to their business, it's the actions of a government or geopolitical forces that may affect the business activity of that particular company or an investment that they're making. And I suppose the classic examples of political risks are expropriation risks. And that's not a new phenomenon in the in the 20th century, uh, starting after the war with the Iran um, oil ex uh, nationalization events. Uh, there were a series of further oil nationalization events in uh, South America and Libya. Um, that is the classic expropriation scenario where the government has literally taken a company's assets and reclaimed that for itself and that's a very obvious category of political risk and we don't see that risk going away there's still expropriation risk there's still uh, resource nationalism and while an expropriation can be lawful uh, where there's a, a treaty in place, um, generally the obligation on the government is to perform any expropriation in a transparent, non-arbitrary way in accordance with its own laws and due process and crucially with compensation to the investor. And, th and that's normally the sticking point where we see um, a dispute arising out of an expropriation event. Um, these days, uh, and increasingly, governments are are more sophisticated, there are different forces at play. And so beyond expropriation, there's a wider range of uh, measures that can affect a business. So for example, rather than taking an asset, a series of gradual tax increases may affect the value of that business or possibly even destroy it. Uh, and so that's a form of indirect expropriation, um, which, which is evolving and which governments are getting um, more, more sophisticated about. There's also other forms of political risk in terms of disputes between countries. So you may have a jurisdiction which traditionally is not seen as 
particularly politically risky in terms of it's it's stable there's no particular noises about resource nationalism there's no civil unrest but at the same time it's got a dispute with a a neighbor uh, who agitates a dispute with that country so if, if your business is affected by a state boundary that's contested and there's a a war or even a political battle over that boundary that could adversely affect your business so i'm conscious that uh it's not it's not an easily definable term but i i hope that gives some color to what what we're talking about in the field of political risk generally and, and what about managing political risk what are some of the options available um it's, there's a range of of things that companies do um, to manage political risk because um, it's something we'll come on to. But generally, if the business opportunity is there, a, a company doesn't want to give up that opportunity just because there's a risk. Um, so it is all about how do you manage that risk and depends on the on the type of political risk. So if there's an expropriation risk, you can get political risk insurance. It's an expensive product. There are limitations to it. Um, insurers are increasingly, I think, aware of um, whether or not they need to align their risk policies with the treaty obligations that countries have. So they're only paying out if there's actually been an illegal act, but other policies are a more broad brush and will allow you to make a claim uh, if there has been a political risk as defined in the policy that's caused you uh, harm. The other thing, there are the treaties, so that's another legal protection for you. If the government has breached a, an international obligation it owes to investors under any form of international treaty or even under domestic legislation, that gives you a right of recourse and that can mitigate your risks. There are softer non-legal protections as well, engagement with the government, um, engagement with the sectors of society as well that have effect on that government um, as well as managing through corporate governance and that was something I found very interesting in the report that a lot of companies are seeing their own corporate governance uh, policies as a way of managing political risk and at, at first blush that sounds slightly unusual because how is your own corporate governance policy um, going to necessarily help you from a government that decides it's going to cancel your license. But I think stepping back, why is it going to cancel the license? Well, perhaps if there's some perception that foreign companies are, are not transparent or behaving in a way that's detrimental to the population, um, then that will make it easier for political manoeuvres to affect your business. Whereas if you've got strong, robust um, policies on on corruption, uh, on information to the public, on engagement with um, social groups, CSR activities, then that is putting you in a better position in the event that there are adverse measures that you need to engage with. Why do you think political risk is, is being seen to be so important now? Well, I think we live in a, an era of unprecedented political volatility. Um, that's maybe every uh, generation has had people that, that say that, but we, we do, we see it all around us. And perhaps that's a function of the information society in which we live, that we're just more aware of it. But there is a huge amount of information. Um, and what we're seeing at the moment is, is huge 
geopolitical changes as well as lots of micro changes around the world and it's not limited to any particular re region so things like US uh, trade policy are affecting governments and businesses all over the world there's the ongoing restructuring of relationships that used to be characterized as east-west or north-south and now are more complicated um, particularly the, the the rise of China and the direction China's taking its relations with its neighbours uh, in the region and beyond. What is it that the EIU report tells us specifically about political risk? One of the most um, interesting things to me was this, this idea of how companies are intending to manage that political risk and 50% said they'll seek to manage political risk through enhanced corporate governance and as I said I I think that's um, that's interesting because it's not a traditional um, approach. More more traditional would be engaging with the government, taking political risk insurance, and ensuring treaty protection. But I I, I don't imagine that that's to the exclusion of that taking those other measures, and that companies will continue to do that as well as enhance corporate governments governance activities. Um, but one thing I found. Yeah, particularly surprising is that you know 30 percent globally of the respondents to the survey are saying that the way they'll deal with political risk is simply by not doing business in particular jurisdictions and I think that's quite startling um, for, for a business to say no matter what the business opportunity in a particular area we're going to avoid um, doing business there because we just think the risks outweigh the reward and that, that's um, that's that's a big call for a company to make so it, it shows that political risk is taken really seriously um, but it's also interesting that the the words used in the report are um, jurisdictions that are deemed difficult that's where companies are choosing not to do business so the word deemed shows that it's it's a matter of perception and that can change in days we, we we've seen in in just in recent years jurisdictions that were thought of as safe homes for investment and business within a few days and a few tweets later suddenly um, there's a flight and a, and, a, and a huge aversion to doing business there so there's a lot of perception uh, loaded in uh, to companies um, saying they're not going to do business somewhere. Also, it's it, it actually isn't my experience of dealing with companies that have had their um, investments badly affected in, in countries where they've come out and said, actually, no, it was a really bad idea to invest there. More often than not, even if the outcome has not been good, they say we had to go in at the time. The opportunity was there. If we didn't go in, our competitors would. We ha we did everything we could to try and mitigate the risk. It's it's unfortunate that, that whatever happened, happened. And often it wasn't foreseeable at the time. Um, so I I'm interested to know more about the types of risks companies are talking about when they say they won't go into a jurisdiction and whether you have to measure that against the opportunity. Are they talking about jurisdictions where they consider the risk remote or, or not worth dealing with simply because the opportunity is not so good? 
or at what point does the opportunity become so good that actually the political risk just becomes something you can mitigate or, or have to try to mitigate? Do you see any overlap between this risk that the report deals with, political risk, and any of the other risks that are dealt with in the report? So, for example, uh, there's reference to cyber security, there's reference to climate change, those sorts of things. Are there any overlaps there between political risk and those other risks? Absolutely. There's a huge amount of overlap because cyber security, um, environmental risks, climate change, those are all issues that governments have to deal with and the populations of those countries have to deal with and they can put pressure on the governments that often lead to uh, regulatory change and it's regulatory change that, that is in many cases the risk. So for example, if um, governments are, are feeling compelled to respond to voices in their jurisdiction about climate change and the environment, that may lead to policies, regulatory measures that are going to affect uh, companies, rightly or wrongly, doing business there. Um, and that may be a degree of political risk. Uh, an example might be the we've seen slowly attitudes and science uh, change in relation to tobacco. So there have been a lot of cases that have arisen out of um, the changes by different governments to their allowance or toleration of tobacco marketing. Um, that's, a, that's a clear example of where um, an environmental health risk has translated into a political risk. And a lot of this is all about just managing changes in, in society and changes in perception, um, but it does lead to political risks because the it is ultimately the government that is going to have to take actions or not. So against that background of, of the developments that you've described for us, and in particular, I'm thinking here about the perceived rise in the importance of political risk on the corporate agenda, if I could put it that way. What is it that you're seeing clients doing right now to manage political risk? And you mentioned a few, a few elements earlier on, but if you could develop that for us. Well, in addition to the, the, the ones that we're told about in the survey, uh, managing corporate governments um, and engaging with local governments, we're seeing um, increasingly that companies are sophisticated and aware of the rights available to them under investment treaties. So investment treaties being agreements negotiated between governments for the benefit of investors from both parties. Um, those treaties provide basic protections against expropriation or unfair, essentially, or discriminatory measures. We're seeing um, there's more and more treaties signed every day almost, particularly um, in, in Asia. Um, and we're seeing companies become aware of how to use those rights. And therefore, at the beginning of their investment, they are making sure that there is a treaty available for them to use should there be an adverse measure in the future. So there's a, a front-end structuring process that's going on, um, which is involving companies potentially putting in a, an intermediary holding company in a jurisdiction that has a treaty with the, the, 
destination for their investment. So not just companies have been doing it with tax for a long time, setting up a structure that allows them to take advantage of the best possible tax protections. They're now doing it um, to address political risks with treaties. So that's one thing um, that we see our clients doing and we're, we're involved in, in advising them on that. Political risk insurance, again, is, is, is still a burgeoning industry, as is the political risk industry generally. And so there's insurance, but there's also uh, providers of intelligence. And we're seeing clients frequently ask us and go to specialist providers of political risk intelligence uh, to manage their political risk. And we anticipate and have seen a lot of claims on political risk insurance. Uh, and it may be that um, the insurers are ahead of the game here in terms of if they're seeing more claims, they're going to be tightening up the wording of their policies and increasing the premiums before uh, regular purchases of those policies really understand how those policies have changed. And so there may be um, a, a, an adjustment that goes on um, in terms of what can be negotiated under those insurance policies. Um, we also think there will be more disputes between investors and states as a function of the additional treaties. If companies are thinking about it at the beginning and thinking about it in terms of mitigating their political risk, well, I'm going to make sure that I have a treaty protection, then ultimately that may well lead to them having to use that treaty, even if nobody wants to. Um, and that may be used in the context of a, an out-and-out -out dispute, or it may just be used in government as part of engagement. If you're an investor and you're able to say to a foreign government, look, I have these rights under a treaty, a treaty claim is a public claim that everybody's going to be aware of, that can be a point of leverage in, in negotiation and engagement um, with governments. I also think on the government side, governments are going to be looking at this and aware that they may be exposed to more claims and that may drive governments to uh, engage with business, um, particularly governments that are um, have a mandate from their electorate or people to follow a particular policy that is going to affect businesses. Um, certainly the hope would be that those governments are, are going to engage with business about ways to implement that um, in a gradual, transparent manner. Um, that will make the risks or negative aspects for business of those measures easier to deal with um, so that um, it's easier for, for companies to manage their risk and continue to do business in that jurisdiction even if there are, as there often are in business, difficulties. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, so political risk is rising up the corporate agenda but there are plenty of opportunities out there and plenty of ways to manage political risk along with other risks. Is that a fair summary? I think it is, Matthew. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And uh, I think we're a long way from, from seeing the day where people really uh, say they're not going to proceed in a particular uh, line of business or opportunity because the political risks are so great. Business will go on to balance and mitigate those risks. If you enjoyed that, you may be interested in listening to some of our other podcasts on cliffordchance.com or for more boardroom risk insights, including those relating to climate change, human rights, inclusion and technology and AI, do have a look at our View from the Top 2019 study with the Economist Intelligence Unit,
which is available on our website at Risk Hub. You've been listening to the Clifford Chance podcast. Please stay tuned for more coming soon to cliffordchance.com.